0: Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Uclus, and today I'm interviewing my friend, Ali Coletti. In this episode, Ali discusses her love for living the nomad life, embracing simplicity, and being in nature. From there, we discuss how Allie developed her love for photography while traveling and how she was introduced to sound healing. Next, we discuss how we each became interested in spirituality and the impact our internalized fears can have on the way we perceive the world. Then we discuss the impact of community and the importance of books. From there, we discuss conservation, lessons that we can learn from Dr. Jane Goodall, and how we can reconsider our relationship with consumerism. We end the discussion on the potential of hemp biodegradable plastics and options for composting. Please enjoy. Ali, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. How are you, Jordan?
0: I'm doing great as well. Thank you so much for joining the Entangled podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So to kick things off, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and then we can take the conversation from there.
1: Well, I'm Ali Coletti. I'm friends with Jordan, actually through my husband. And basically Jordan and I became friends almost immediately I'm really glad that our life crossed paths. I work in technology as a project manager, but I'm also a nomad and really love traveling the U- everywhere, but I have a lot of experience traveling the U.S. Um, national parks.
0: And when you say you're a nomad, what does that mean to you?
1: I associate it with not feeling like I have one home. I can get the sense of home from being many places. I don't know if I'll ever really feel completely rooted in in a place. And sometimes I wish that that was my personality, but I definitely just fall in love with a lot of different places.
0: And what are some of those places you've fallen in love with?
1: Well, right now, I live in Detroit, which has been home to me forever. I am currently in Austin, Texas, which Is probably right now, at least, my favorite place to be. There's so many options for great restaurants and different types of community events. Like Sunday, I went to an all-woman tea ceremony, which was really cool. I love those unique, immersive, I don't know, like sound healings and those type of group events. Missoula, Montana, for sure, just such a beautiful place and you feel very welcome. Like, I, I think that was the first thing I fell in love with about being in Missoula was just like going to the grocery store and feeling seen by people, which is definitely different than some of the cities I've lived in. I spent six years in Chicago after college and Chicago amazing, but sometimes you can be on the street and feel like people are looking through you almost.
0: And what do you think it is about smaller towns like Missoula where people are more open to connecting with strangers?
1: I think simplicity of life, not having too many options for like going from like a big city to somewhere like Missoula. You know, there's like, this is a made up number, but 15 restaurants compared to like 700. You see the same people around. I think it almost makes you feel safer in some ways. Like people are looking out for you and you're not getting lost in the mix of a bunch of people. I think it all goes back to simplicity.
0: Would you say simplicity is something you generally seek out in your life?
1: I try to. I don't think that I'm always successful. Sometimes I blame social media for leading not to simplicity, you know, like seeing things and feeling like I need to have something, even though everything I have, thankfully, at this time in life is meeting all of my needs. And I think that's something that scares me away from the basics.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about social media, is it the social pressure to feel like you always have to be doing something or posting something or achieving something?
1: Yeah. I would say these days for me, it's even more like material. Like I need to, and I've never felt this way. I think it's because we've been traveling less and focusing more on like the social media since I haven't been in nature, but like I need a new person And that's just never really been my personality. And thankfully, everything's like really expensive these days. So I haven't succumbed to that. But (laughs) noticing it's on my mind is stressful to me.
0: And so you talked about the big trip you and Spencer did. Would love if you could just give the listeners some more context around what was that trip exactly? What was the thought process that went into it? and, And then we can go from there.
1: Yeah. So I think I'll start with I'm probably one of the most indecisive people in the world. And Sunder and I met in Chicago. We spent a little bit over a year there together, living together. And we knew we wanted to leave Chicago and go somewhere else, but couldn't decide where. And he basically said to me one day, if I could live anywhere, I would live everywhere. And I was like, what? Like, that sounds crazy. That's not possible. Work will never be okay with this. Thankfully, he convinced me just to ask because really the only requirement work had, and this was back in 2018, was that I'd be near an airport. So they let me go remote before 2020 and really just had to be near an airport in case I had to travel for work. So we began to plan the route. We knew we wanted to go West Coast, national parks, basically everywhere from Texas all the way to Washington. and stopping we stopped in 11 different cities as far as like living there for longer than a few weeks at once and really like decided where we wanted to go based on the time that we knew we were leaving in the fall and the weather the seasons in the different areas so we went to Austin first and then headed over to Arizona in February so like it was Austin from October to February and then Arizona which is a nice Austin and Arizona are good this winter time of year where it's almost like in a lot of the parks, they get so much snow that you really, if you want to see as much as possible, need to go there in the summer. Moab is, we went to Colorado after Arizona and that's around April time is the ideal time I would say to be in the desert. It's not too hot, not too cold. So just right. And then headed up to Montana. Have you been to Glacier? Oh, you were just there this summer. I was. Yeah. Yeah. So like you really can't go there before July, like the going to the sun road, they get so many feet of snow every year that it's often not cleared until the middle of July or beginning of July. And that's a big part of going to Glacier National Park is doing the whole drive from Apgar and Lake McDonald all the way to many Glacier. So really like that was a big aspect of that. We were like, we know we need to be in Montana by end of July. And then we sort of did that all the the way through Washington, Oregon, California, Utah, and came back home.
0: And why was it that you wanted to focus on national parks?
1: Honestly, I never really visited any of them growing up. I think before the trip, I had been to Yosemite, but that was it. And It's not easy to go national park hopping, I would say. Usually coming from like the Midwest, we would have to take flights every time we wanted to go to one of the parks and rent a car to go visit for a week at least so you could see a lot of things. And it just made sense that this would be the perfect opportunity to see a lot of them and have the things that we need with us, which made it a really unique experience.
0: And I think both of us have had similar trajectories in our lives in the sense of both growing up in suburbs of Midwestern cities, then going to Big Ten schools, then being more attracted to nature and and having the opportunity to go outdoors and the like. And so I'm curious to get a sense of how your lifestyle has evolved moving from Detroit and then Michigan State and then now and then having had these experiences across all these national parks and, and more off-the-beaten-path type cities?
1: I will definitely say, and you know this because you went to a Big Ten school, it's cold a lot of times of the year. So a lot of our activities focus on drinking and partying, a lot of that um, until actually like leaving the city or leaving the Midwest. I feel like that's a lot of the lifestyle there. And I think for some point of college, I didn't even really realize that I was missing out on being in nature because I didn't consider that there was anything else. I was so immersed in being in that moment and drinking my way through college that the trips that we were planning with friends were more to like Miami to party instead of thinking about doing something that would be more grounding. And I think that was really completely changed my personality. I'm much more down to earth, much more aware of my surroundings just in tune with emotions a lot better than I was before. I can confidently say that nature gave me that feeling, just feeling confident. And I know my sense of self after spending so much time by myself in places that really make you appreciate life.
0: And what do you think it is about being in nature that enables you to get to know yourself better and appreciate things about life?
1: I think it just shows you how remarkable the world is and how special it can be to just, it doesn't have to cost a million dollars to go on a camping trip. Like you can do that basically from any city in the United States. And you can feel such a sense of admiration for the world just by having beautiful sunrises, seeing an amazing sunset, seeing animals in nature that sometimes we get consumed in life and think that only the big shiny vacations that hurt our wallet are sufficient to give us happiness. And it's just so amazing that we get to live here and enjoy these things that the earth has given us.
0: I totally agree. And for me, one of the places where I know to sit most profoundly is when you're in a spot without light pollution, and you go outside at night and you see these unbelievable, magnificent stars and you realize that humans for the last millions of years, you know, whenever we evolved, that's the experience that they've seen at night until really our and maybe our parents' generation and all this light pollution in the cities has completely cut us off from that connection to the rest of the universe.
1: It really is wild how many places that you go that you'd expect to be darker than they are now. When we were at Alstrom Point in Utah, I mean, it was really dark and we could see a bit of the Milky Way. But if you look off in the distance, there's a page that's lighting up the area. It is wild to be in those places and think about how the land has been used since the existence of the earth. And that's really cool. Where's your favorite park, would you say?
0: Wow, that's a tough question
1: it's pretty like not a fair question
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give it a shot I think that I've been to so far I'd have to say Glacier it was just so gorgeous and I really got to spend over a week there and, and really felt I got to experience it certainly loved Moab but was only there for a hot weekend I've only been to Zion that time I, I drove through with you and Spencer so like I feel like those are places that I would love to spend more time, and just haven't had the chance to. I know Olympic, you and Spencer are both huge fans of too, so definitely need to get up there as well.
1: Yeah, it's so cool that there's a rainforest. And so many people don't realize that, that there's it's the only rainforest in North America, and it's just so unique. Seeing the whole rainforest in Quinault, it's also pretty cool because there's some native land that you can camp on. Get a permit and go over to the beach is called Shai, Shai Beach. It's like about a two-mile hike out. Bring your stuff and just sleep on the beach, which is, I mean, for me, that was the first time I had slept in sand on a tent. So it was really cool and unique.
0: Where would you say has been your favorite park?
1: I mean, you really nailed it. I love like all of Mountain West because it's so glacier's insane. You basically any hike that you do there and you look at the rocks in the ground and they're like teal and this purpley violet color which is just so remarkable so basically everything from the ground to all around you is just like a fairy tale so many different types of flowers and there's wild animals everywhere you almost don't have to try to see them because they can come to you i remember one morning we were in a parking lot alone and we got surrounded by bighorn sheep which was like a <laughs> little bit i mean i was sitting in the car but Spencer's like not really worried about anything sitting in the back and just hanging out with these sheep which was a really great experience I think the place that like surprised me the most and I didn't expect to like as much as I do is Yellowstone I don't know why I didn't like it I think it's just like the stigma of okay there's like holes in the ground which is a really bad way to look at it there's thousands of geysers that are coming from the center of the earth over the super volcano, which makes up Yellowstone. The colors there are basically every color of the rainbow just coming from the earth, which is really crazy to see. And then it's foggy everywhere. So it looks like a little bit apocalyptic. So like photography wise, like I loved taking pictures there and lots of animals there, bison everywhere, which is really cool to see. In Canyonlands, I always say it feels like you can go and conquer your own piece of land there just because there's so many places you can camp and go off-roading and just really have your own mini universe. We're so lucky that we have access to something like that.
0: We really are. And I was actually just talking with a friend this weekend about how unfortunate COVID has been, particularly for international travel. I was supposed to actually be going to India next week and just had to cancel it because of quarantine restrictions. But we recognized how fortunate we are living in the United States, where you just have all these incredible places, all these parks that you can go check out. I mean, for me, 2020... You know me. I mean, I'm I'm always in normal times on the road, traveling, love to go international. And with COVID, it really gave me the opportunity to say, all right, well, I live in Denver and a few hours drive in any direction. You'll see some incredible place. So let's really take advantage of it. And that was when I got the chance to go to Glacier, come hang out with you and Spencer and and go visit Zion and Austin Point. And where was that where we went camping, where it was really no light pollution?
1: Were We in Bryce. Was it that night?
0: I think so. Yeah, that was really cool too. So, you know, uh, long story short, just was really cool to have that as an option to say, hey, look at this incredible country we're in and let's go check out some of the just really unique geography that we see here.
1: I feel like Denver really is the perfect landing place for the them all. You can get to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, and there's so many different landscapes. If you go south, to the sand dunes or bust to the desert, and then obviously tons of mountains, which is really one of the things that's been hard for me about going back to the Midwest is having experienced places like that, where you have access to so many different types of things. I don't want to sound ungrateful because I do love home. It's just different. If you want to go to the UP, it's still a nine-hour drive. We have many great forests and beach areas, but it is all like a similar landscape. If you leave Michigan in the nearby states versus from Colorado, you can get to tons of different topographies.
0: And you talked about enjoying photography in Yellowstone. Has that always been a passion of yours?
1: No, it's definitely something that I picked up on the road. It's so funny because I'm a forgetful person at times. So I definitely learned some things the hard way. For example, definitely one of my most embarrassing moments, but photography-wise, not in life. Um, <laughs> the trip we did to Shai Shai Beach in Olympic, we backpacked out these two miles, which was like hard for carrying everything in like the sand. And was so excited to take photos of Olympic. It was the first time I had visited Olympic on the trip. And I realized I forgot my camera card. So basically have no evidence of that trip. But Sometimes that is when you're the most present. I guess there was a reason. But I I do love photography. It's definitely such an interesting way to express yourself and just see the different perspectives each person can have. When Spencer would take my camera and take photos, I could instantly, going through the rules, tell which ones were his just because we would seek out different things. And I think that's what's really cool about it, too, is you're always going to get a bit of a different perspective depending on who's taking the photo.
0: You also mentioned sound healing earlier. I'm curious how you got interested in that.
1: Also for my best friend, I mentioned to you before we got on that I was staying at a friend's house in Austin and she is very into all different types of, she's the first one that mentioned sound healing to me. I think at that time she called it a gong bath. I, cause I don't know if that differs a gong bath from a sound healing, but I think they're relatively similar. And have you done one?
0: I've done sound healing, but I don't know if I've ever done with the gong bath. Okay. Could yeah. you also, on that point, explain what is sound healing?
1: Yes. So typically, it's at least an hour long meditation where there's a leader who's guiding you. They're really a musician that's guiding you through what they call a sound journey. So a meditation guided by sounds and The musician will be using different tools like crystal bowls or sometimes rain sticks or different chimes to lead you through this meditation. You know, with the bowls and I think the gongs are the same. There's different notes that are said to release tensions in the chakras or blockages that are in our chakras. And the sound healing is supposed to really open that up. So it can be a very emotional process for some people. And I just find it like really relaxing. Sometimes, as you probably know, meditating can be distracting based on your surroundings. And I find it extra grounding to have a leader with a constant sound in your head for that hour. You're always tuning back to the now and like where you are. And I think that allows for a deeper meditation. So it's definitely a really nice guided practice.
0: Yeah. So my first, I guess my first and only experience with sound bath or sound healing has been uh, a silent meditation retreat I did last November, a few months ago. And it was really, really profound experience for me, which, you know, I was not expecting by any means. And I had this wild epiphany at the end of it, just around about actually Dax Shepard funny enough because his podcast Armchair Expert is one of my favorites and so I feel like I've gotten to know his story very well just through listening to that and without getting into the specifics I just recognized in that sound healing that our stories had a very clear parallel that despite having very different backgrounds and having life stories and insecurities that manifested in different ways that I just was able to draw this really interesting perspective with him and some of the relationships he'd had in the past and me and some of the relationships I'd had in the past. That was just, like I said, just a totally unexpected connection that occurred during this really beautiful sound healing experience.
1: You know, I think for some people like Santa refuses to go with me because he finds it unsettling. But I think for some people it can be so relaxing and you almost leave feeling rejuvenated or, Maybe if it was like a really emotional experience, you leave just feeling like you hopefully released something.
0: Totally. Yeah, that release. I mean, I definitely felt like a huge weight off my shoulders that I didn't even know it was there.
1: That's so cool to hear. When did you so, do this? So or it was November. How long was that? Uh, it was a week. I don't think I knew this.
0: Yeah, it was awesome.
1: Wow. Where were you?
0: Out in Western Colorado.
1: That's so great. What do you think the most challenging part was?
0: You know, it's interesting. So during that week, I I didn't smoke cannabis either. And I'm a pretty frequent user, you know, on a yeah. daily basis, most of the time. And so day three into the process. So really there was five days. The first and last day were more like orientation focused. So you could talk then. So day one was great. Went in just feeling like I could become a Buddhist monk and (laughs) be silent for years. And then day two ended up being really difficult for me just because some tougher emotions surfaced. I think I was also going through cannabis withdrawal at that time. Like I've noticed when I, when I stop, I do hit that point around day three. So I think that Compounded the effect. You know, that's the time where I'd usually distract myself with doing something or going and smoking or something like that. And so I was really forced to face those challenging feelings, go and journal about it. Felt great after I journaled. And then the next day felt incredible. And then at that point, I just had so much energy, it was like so amped up. I was like, all right, I got to get the fuck out of here. Like I need to go do something and talk to somebody, which again, I wasn't expecting because I've become certainly much more introverted person during COVID. So anyway, it was a really cool, unique experience overall, and then just felt that I was the most connected to myself as a spiritual being as I've ever been after that experience, and then in the days that followed as well.
1: Wow. I would really love to do that. I think it would have immense benefits for me. The part you mentioned about withdrawing from weed before would scare me a little bit because that happens to me too. and. It can be like a really scary. I don't know about you, but I get nightmares and cold sweats, at least for from the first day, at least for three or four days. Mm -hmm.
0: Totally. Yeah, I get nightmares. I don't know if I get nightmares per se, but I do get very vivid dreams. And I think part of that is because cannabis in general suppresses your dreams. So like build up all this REM sleep that you're not getting normally.
1: Yeah, I need my dreams back.
0: (laughs) Are you a daily cannabis user?
1: Yes, I am. I haven't been smoking really, but edibles have been nice. I hate to say it, but like I do find my day job to be quite stressful. So, I mean, very low doses. I find it helpful for me to respond to people that are in a very pressure-filled environment. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, you know, like I should be able to process those things without that. I think my personality I I really absorb other people's energies. I don't know if you've heard about human design and I'm not an expert on it, but in human design I'm a projector and they say it's a non-energy sign and you really take energy from those around you. So at times mm-hmm. that I'm and I feel that way like I don't think that I'm using it as an excuse. I really feel that if I leave a very heated conversation or even a conversation where somebody's just completely upset, I feel that emotion carries with me. And I think that can be hard in a high stress work environment.
0: Yep, that makes sense. Would you consider yourself a spiritual person?
1: Definitely, for sure. Since starting meditation definitely was my first step. That was something I even started before leaving from Chicago. Actually, Spencer was really the one that got me into meditating, which was perfect for me because I was definitely emotional. I didn't know how to channel my emotions. And I think with meditation, you feel more connected to yourself. And then also able to realize like what you might be feeling as an outcome of something happening and taking the time to pause and respond to that. And I think just like the awareness is what for me makes me feel like a more spiritual person, just being so in tune with how I'm feeling and what's going on around me makes you feel connected to the earth and to other people. And I think that for me is what I consider spiritual.
0: That's beautiful.
1: Thanks. What about you? (laughs) What was like the first thing for you?
0: In terms of spirituality?
1: Yeah, that really got you into it.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, so first off, I'd say I think that I've always been on a spiritual journey my entire existence, just not consciously aware of it. And I dabbled with some meditation techniques, but really more as a means of just like reducing stress and not like, it's kind of one of those things like you don't know what you don't know, like not recognizing that there even is this spiritual plane and higher level of consciousness that you can connect to. And then funny enough, the really the way I got into it was I started digging into what's going on with the extraterrestrial phenomenon and like the fact that the Pentagon disclosed that, hey, there actually are UFOs and we don't know what the fuck they are. And then both of my business partners were telling me like, yo, if we start looking into this, this is crazy. You should check it out. And then one thing led to another watched a documentary called Closing encounters of the fifth kind that talks about the extraterrestrial phenomenon and how it's actually is related to spirituality through consciousness and metaphysics and really helped to explain reality in a way that I hadn't thought of before. But I think I would experienced some of those higher planes of consciousness that were explained to me in this documentary in past experiences with psychedelics. So anyway, fast forward a couple of weeks, I was reading a book called the holographic universe that gets into a lot of the metaphysics that they talked about in this, in this documentary was reading that book and decided to experiment with LSD and, and just explore my consciousness. And totally by accident during that LSD trip, I had a just Complete transcendental experience where I felt connected to this unitive state of consciousness that I felt, not even that I felt, that I knew that my soul was eternal, that the entire cosmos was love, that all my deepest, darkest fears about climate disaster or the U.S. falling to autocracy, that like it's irrelevant fears because just my conception of time wasn't even accurate and and all, all of these things. So, and then the afterglow of that experience lasted for a very long time for two weeks. And so that's really what I'd say made me consciously aware of my spiritual journey. And haven't really looked back since then. That was about seven months ago now or so.
1: That's very powerful. And also I feel a sense of peace hearing you say that just knowing how some of those issues like the climate disaster and, politics and can really be consuming to our brains and just how we're feeling at all times. It's always on our mind, especially if we're on social media or LinkedIn with different news. And to be able to come back to that sense of there's something bigger out there, this is going to be an ongoing thing, regardless of what it looks like or feels like at that time, it would be really helpful and peaceful for the mind to be able to realize that.
0: But, and I think you're so spot on about these stressors that can just consume us, right? And as you think about COVID, my argument has been particular to folks who have been very, very stressed about COVID. And I understand it's super crazy times that we're living through, but my counter argument has been that the reaction of the general population of the media relative to the actual risk of severe illness or death. Has been very disproportionate. And that, in fact, this pandemic of fear that's been created and this pandemic of, frankly, restrictions on freedom of speech anyone who dares to question, hey, maybe there is some misaligned incentives with pharmaceutical companies and their connections with the FDA and CDC, and that, anyway, all these things have been lost in the conversation because we've just been so inundated with this message of fear, with this message of you must subscribe to what authority is telling you in this case. And if you don't, you are spreading misinformation, you are harming the population, and we need to shut you the fuck up.
1: Can we do like a loop of that past minute? Because I feel like that's so important. There really are bigger underlying systemic issues that are almost not talked about these days because the focus has been shifted to people's opinions and how they're expressing themselves which is has always been the greatest part about living in america and now you see similarities between between our country and other countries who have a lot more restricted lives and it's definitely scary or worrisome to think that that's not being noticed by a lot of people
0: it is scary and it is worrisome and Why do you think that is that it just gets so lost in the conversation?
1: I don't want to like simplify it, but I do think a lot of it comes back to us spending so much time connected through technology, whether it's social media, or even just having to work on a computer or having to use computers to get things or order things. Like we've become so accustomed to this like automated lifestyle That we're not as in touch with the things that have always been great about living on Earth, like the nature, the community, and especially this last year with it being last two years, I guess, a lot of community being reduced to like having to connect online. We're thinking in ways that are just more based on the information that's presented to us instead of going out there to like be with other people or learn from other people or even just learn from the earth.
0: I think that's such a good point you bring up too. And the isolation impact of the pandemic just cannot be understated. And I'm going to get the the figures wrong, but I saw something about called 30 years ago, the average teenager, young adult would say they had five or so friends that close friends that they could go to with an issue. Then that came down to one person. And now the average is zero. it's just It's so sad because the interconnectedness of us with our fellow humans, with nature and the world as a whole, to me is synonymous with spirituality and with love and with growth and with joy. And again, it's just been such a significant thing that's been cut off to so many people during this pandemic. That's been so challenging for so many folks.
1: It makes me sad to think about because I know how much community has made healed parts of me before the pandemic would go to yoga a lot and even just work out aside being around a group of people moving together and sharing an experience and also seeing them all like elevated after, really excited. You feel so connected to other people and I feel more motivated to do better in my life, to impact the people around me and like bring happiness to those around me. And I've definitely gotten comfortable with like not even going out to work out, just like doing it at home and cutting off some of those channels that can be so helpful.
0: Absolutely, and I have to say for you in particular, I mean you are probably the friendliest, kindest person I've ever met. Like I think I, I don't know anyone you've ever met who wouldn't consider you a friend, and it's just really miraculous to me just how you are able to make such a huge impact on everyone you.
1: Oh my gosh. That's, that really is the nicest compliment. And I think it's still hard for me to hear compliments like that because I definitely, like college was rough for me, but I think a lot of that was like attributed to drinking and like being around guys and not being self-confident and just the way that women are treated. I was definitely, I would say, if you met me, how long ago was college now? 12 years ago. I just would, not be like a smiley to strangers or even not like not aware, but like just very focused on everything that is in my purview and not really like how it impacted other people. And I think that is something that like the sense of community broke down for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I'm the exact same way. Like just as I think back to my colleges and don't get me wrong. I had it incredible time I met some of my best friends ever so I don't want to I certainly don't regret anything that has happened in my life but at the same time as I didn't think back just the opportunity cost of what I could have been doing with that time or just the incredible resources available to me at IU Bloomington that I just didn't take advantage of because I was too busy getting wasted at the frat house on the weekends it's it's tough too because it's almost like this culture we have in our society where we're like kids you have to go to College, otherwise, you'll be a complete failure, never mind the fact that you may be taking out 100K plus of debt with a degree that isn't going to get you a legitimate job. And by the way, this whole culture that you're going to is going to be completely revolved around drugs and alcohol and having premarital sex.
1: Yes, I did not feel prepared to make the decisions that I had to make in college that impacted the rest of my life. I don't know if there wasn't enough time put into educating us about like what it would look like to take on debt what it would look like to choose a career path before having experienced many things and I the resources were at our tips like you mentioned like there's so many great things we went to Michigan State that the school offers but if you're I don't want to say like not educated but distracted by other things you can almost miss the opportunities that are there for you.
0: But on a brighter note, it's it's nice that we have the opportunity to grow. And one of the, as we talked about, the downside of technology, one of the positives is that it's really helped to democratize information sharing and our access to books, right? And like Amazon, for example, right? Again, people love to hate on Bezos and the fact that Amazon has put all these independent mom and pops out of business, which I fully understand that criticism. But on the flip side you have to recognize that they completely changed the game for books. If there was some relatively obscure book or, or piece of wisdom that you wanted to read before you, first off, you probably wouldn't even know it existed necessarily. And second off, you just, if you just happened to get lucky that it was at your local store, that's great. But with books, there's this really long tail of these more esoteric, less well-known books that people just would never have had access to. And, and so that's something that I think that people, don't appreciate as much anymore. I know for me, as I've gone down this spirituality path and (laughs) gone down some wild rabbit holes, you know, I've really appreciated having the access to just this treasure trove of information and being able with, you know, the click of a button in two days delivery to read anything that's ever been written in the history of humankind, at least anything that's been preserved to modern day.
1: It's so funny you say that because I also agree that that's My favorite thing that Amazon has done for me is accessibility to books. And even just when you finish one, you're like, oh, I can download another book right now. I don't have to like wait for it. I mean, even before then, you'd have to wait, go to a bookstore. You couldn't even like wait for it to get shipped the next day, which Amazon also does. But I do love that accumulates all of the books that all the books possible and you really have them at your fingertips, especially if, well, if you're using that service.
0: Are there any specific books that have had a significant impact on your life?
1: Well, okay. I'll start with saying I'm definitely fantasy is my favorite genre. So like the books that stand out to me are definitely those with a little bit of magic or a little bit of like basiness. I guess I just read something about immortals, uh, a series called A Court of Thorns and Roses. So I wouldn't say I learned any life lessons from that unless like we're all secretly immortals and have lots of superpowers but I thought it was <laughs> remarkable. I've recently read a book called Braiding Sweetgrass which I think about almost daily. It's a book about indigenous wisdoms by Robin Wall, I think her last name's pronounced Kimmerer and it she has indigenous family she was raised in an indigenous family and talks about just Traditions with the land. And also, she's a scientist or ecologist and is really has a lot of history of plants and how she's loved the plants to grow. And she tells this story. So it's like a collection of stories about her life. And she tells this story about this pond in her backyard and the ecosystem that's contributing to the pond and how it was really mucky when they moved in there. And she was trying to like scoop out all of the. Muckiness and changed the ecology of the pond, but really it was coming from the trees that were hanging over the pond and like when the seedlings fell and everything was contributing to that area. It was definitely a really good read. I think this is kind of like a tough read, but it was hard for me to get through because it's quite emotional about climate change. But it was called Losing Earth, a recent history by Nathaniel Rich and it talks about the origins of understanding what different types of greenhouse gases were doing to our ozone. And it really focuses on 1979 when a lot of the science was discovered and it was presented to those in power in the U.S. and how they handled that information or didn't handle that information. So that's definitely an interesting read too.
0: That is really interesting. And as you highlight those books that have been so impactful for you of late, one of the things that always stands out to me when I think about you is just your love for the earth and your focus on saving it and conservation. And I'm curious if that is something that has always been a part of of what's meaningful to you or if that's something that has also developed over time
1: definitely developed over time the more that i spent time in nature the more that it was apparent to me that it was important it was something that we all needed to consider i think just like even as far as like traveling to different places that don't have any like i know it's not as simple as recycling but like any recycling available and just seeing how much extra waste is created in those situations and how eventually like It all goes back into the earth, especially with us creating different mountains of trash and just like trying to grow land over it, which I don't know the science of it, if that's a good or a bad thing to, or a good or bad way to dispose of trash. It doesn't seem like the best idea, but just becoming more aware made me feel like it was important to, you know, we all contribute. So at a minimum, what we can do is make sure that the things we're doing are conscious buying as little plastic that is possible at the grocery store, you know, like trying to reduce. I mean, I don't use those plastic bags at all for like the veggies, just put it in your car. Like, why does it need to be in a bag? You're going to wash it. Even like little things like that, that over time do make an impact. And there's just so many simple ways to make things that you're, family or your homestead is doing better for the earth.
0: I totally agree. And I, I'm fully culpable of in the past, just thinking like, Oh, well, what's one plastic bag relative to you know how much mess there is and how much that's wrong in the world. And, you know, I think people can get into this thought pattern of I'm just one person. What does it matter that, you know, what, what impact I make my footprint relative to the global footprint is, so massive and it's the corporations and the governments who need to fix this, not me. And I can understand where people are coming from with that logic, but at the same time, it's like that old truism. If you want to change the world, start by changing yourself. And it's the impact is more than just the not using the the plastic bag at the store. Right. And like perfect example, like Allie when we were together last summer I was gonna get a plastic bag and you're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like a little thing, but then that's something that stuck with me. And like you set that example of like we can do better, I can do better. And it's you know, it's it's that whole pay it forward concept of you set that example, and then who knows how that impacts snowballs. But the first step is you just gotta do the right thing.
1: Yeah, that makes me feel good because I think sometimes I forget that like other people are listening or taking advice from you. So like when I come across something like that it's it's a good idea to share it because you never know if that person will adopt doing that
0: and then like a couple months ago I was watching that Jane Goodall masterclass, and one she she just reminds me of you so much and her perspective too, just having lived in the jungles for so long having been so connected to nature seeing how wildlife lives and then coming into the modern world and just her take on just waste we have and just not even with plastics only, but also just the way that we consume food, the way we consume water and how we're so unthoughtful about the environment or the thought, the idea that we're using up all this potable groundwater in toilets and in showers, and it's not going to be there forever guys. And it's just, it helps to put into perspective. I think people can get lost in a couple of things, just one, the magnitude of the problem, but then also how, broken. And I don't know what the, the best word is, but just how out of sync with nature, the daily lives that we live in the West are. And it, it's the reality that most people, the only one they've ever known. So you lose perspective of how dissimilar and how disharmonious that lifestyle really is.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so funny too. Cause like, there's definitely so many other things that different countries are doing that we could be picking up on, like even going back to the water, like there's barely any water in the toilets in Europe and little things, there's less garbage just because their packaging doesn't have the same level of like production. We use a lot of plastic, they use alternative things or, you know, even paper bags. It's interesting because there are so many other countries that do things that we could adopt. Easily you'd think like having less water, like you mentioned in the toilet bowls, or even just like the simplicity of life over there. Like I recently took a trip to Greece and it was my first time there. I think one of the things I admired so much was just, there's lots less tchotchkes, but sometimes you'll go into an American home and there's just things everywhere, like little decorative things, like little toys or unnecessary things that we just purchase because we get excited about them. Then we end up owning so many, this is something with the older generation too, but just decorations for every holiday. Why do you have 12 gnomes that you put out only at Christmas, mini trees? Where's that going to go when you're done with it? And I definitely think that's a very American thing. Like I don't think that's as common in Europe at least. And I think that's something that is always it goes back to where we started at the beginning. Like I do feel like I'm living a more simplistic life if I don't have things like that around that aren't necessary and that at some point they'll have to be taken care of, whether it's like finding a new home for them or like what throwing it away. So it's permanent trash till the end of time. And that's scary with consumerism.
0: And it gets back to what you were talking about at the beginning of the conversation with social media and how you're always being marketed products to. And because let's face it, the almighty dollar drives the world forward and consumerism is the for better or worse, the prevailing ideology of the global world order. And it's consume, 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 buy, buy, buy more, more, more things. And it's just gotten us into the mess we're in today.
1: It's definitely nice to be like, just acknowledge it. Like whether, I mean, if you buy something that makes you happy, that's awesome. But I think it's helpful to be aware just considering like yeah. what the future generations are going to have to deal with.
0: But, you know, not to solely focus the conversation on the downside of things. You do get inspiration. And I certainly see a lot of great opportunities for fixing things and, and ways to make the world better. And one, but one specific example I can think of is that now with hemp being legal across the nation, hemp bioplastics have the opportunity to at a similar cost at scale as our current plastics, be great biodegradable replacements. And that alone could be a massive change to the international infrastructure.
1: Yeah. That things that hemp can do, it's remarkable and it's, there's so many different uses. I don't know how it works, but somebody was telling me once they can use it for building too, like homes and really strong things. <laughs>
0: And also livestock for animals is a huge opportunity for it. Cause I mean, it, it literally does grow like a weed. So it's a, a crop that requires very little water relative to like corn and other sources of current animal grains. So again, just very exciting, simple option that for nonsense reasons has been off the table for the last 50 years until it was legalized.
1: Yeah. One thing that's really easy that we can all do that's, super cool is composting. I know it's a little bit different in the city, like in an apartment, because you do typically need to find a service that'll come pick it up. But even in Detroit, I have a compost bin in my backyard, and we don't have a ton of space back there. Recently, it got filled up from everything we had used during the summer, and it's I can't really add anything to it right now while it's marinating with what it's got in there. But we found a service in Detroit that picks up a five gallon tub every Sunday. And I've just been putting my food scraps in there and they actually take it back and make their own soil, which is soil is such an important thing for all of our future generations. And every time we're throwing away food, we're missing an opportunity to get that back into the soil and give it its nutrients and make the earth even stronger. And I think that's a really cool, simple thing that people can do pretty easily just by looking into your options wherever you live.
0: That is such a cool idea. And I'll need to figure out what type of composting options are available here in Denver.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there are some. You're in the Mecca of all the good things for the earth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, the crunchy granola. Well, that might be a little bit north in Boulder, but Denver is a close second.
1: (laughs) I actually like attended a webinar with the city of Boulder. I work in public sector. So it's interesting, like learning about different things that different cities are doing. And they have probably, I would say, the highest recycling percentage out of any city. And really they're only able to recycle. I don't know if it was exactly 40%, but it's so for everything that's actually like recycled, they're only recycling a percentage of it. And it's much, much higher than any other city, but it's still far off from hundred. And I think that's something that was really mind boggling to me is that there's still so many opportunities to make mistakes when recycling. And if you're throwing something away that can't be recycled, you could contaminate the whole batch. And usually cities do a good job of posting on their website what can actually be recycled. So I think if you don't know, that's a good resource too, to make sure that you're just giving the things that your city can handle so that there's a higher output.
0: Well, Coco, this has been uh, such a fun conversation. By the way, I mentioned at the beginning that your nickname's Coco. What is the background of that?
1: Coco. Okay. So my last name is Coletti. And in high school, I had a friend who her brother and his friends were in a band and they would just always play on the drums. ellie Coco like some Jamaicanish undertone song. And it was Bring it into other songs. And that's really how it started. So I like the nickname. And when the movie Coco came out, I felt really special because everybody was talking about me. (laughs) It
0: feels like a very fitting nickname for you.
1: Oh, I like it. Well, I'm so glad that you had me and we were able to do this. It's my first podcast ever. But, you know, I think everybody fantasizes about being in a podcast.
0: Well, you absolutely crushed it. And Thank you so much for coming on. I had a blast here.
1: Yes, I can't wait to see you some point soon. We'll have to go maybe chase aliens in the desert. I feel like Moab's the perfect place for encounters.
0: Dude, I'm so down. Name a time and place and I'll be there.
1: Yes, somewhere in Moab.
0: Yeah, Moab would be ideal. Well, Ali, thanks again. And I hope that you have a great rest of your night.
1: Thank you. I'll see you soon. Have a good night.
0: You too. Take care. Thanks everyone for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. I wanted to dive a bit further into Dr. Jane Goodall's story, who we touched on briefly during this episode. Dr. Goodall has been a huge inspiration to me and a leading voice in the conservation movement over the past 60 years. She's known as the world's foremost expert on chimpanzees and is best known for her 60-year study of social and family interactions of wild chimpanzees. As insane as it sounds today, when Dr. Goodall first went into the field, the dogma of conventional science at the time held that, number one, women could not be scientists, and number two, that animals did not have personalities. Thankfully, Dr. Goodall refused to abide by convention and worked her way into being the first researcher to study chimpanzees in the wild when she went to Gombe National Park in Tanzania in 1960. And for anyone who's ever had a pet, the concept of animals not having a personality is clearly ridiculous. But at the time, anyone who argued animals demonstrated emotion was viewed as unscientific and falsely anthropomorphizing these beings. Thankfully, through her decades of work in the field and the researchers that followed, the rigid views of this reductionist paradigm have eroded, but we still have a long way to go. One of Dr. Goodall's ideas that really resonated with me was with regards to animal spirituality. Spirituality is another behavior that has historically been considered unique to human beings. While the conventional view still holds this to be the case, Dr. Goodall disagrees. She highlights two aspects of chimpanzee behavior unrelated to any special purpose. The first occurs after a heavy rain starts. Suddenly, male chimpanzees will do a spectacular display. They'll drag branches and do a deep, heavy-breathing-type chant for about five minutes. Maybe this just has to do with them being angry, or maybe it's representative of something more. The second takes place at the base of waterfalls in Gombe. The water displaces the air under the waterfall, and as male chimpanzees get closer to the waterfall, their hair starts to rise. They go into the stream under the waterfall, whereas they normally avoid streams altogether and jump over them. They then do a rhythmic display, very different than a dominance challenge, and they sway from foot to foot. They'll pick up rocks from the stream bed and hold them forward, or grab a vine and sway in and out of the waterfall. At the end of the display, a chimpanzee may sit on a rock, looking up at where the water is coming down from the waterfall, and looking at the water as it flows away. She says, you can't help but think these chimpanzees are wondering... What is this stuff that is always coming and always going, but it's always here? Might that lead to one of the early animistic religions, the worship of nature and the stars, the things that were inexplicable to early humans? She notes that many scientists would discredit this viewpoint, but that you have to be there, you have to see it, you have to feel it, to understand really what she's talking about. For me, Dr. Goodall's research has provided additional support to the idea that consciousness exists everywhere and in everything. While different manifestations of consciousness experience the world differently, and different animals have evolved consciousness to different levels of self-awareness, this underlying essence of consciousness is constant. And so I hope as humanity continues the path of progress, we recognize that our Earth is a garden, and that we stop trying to dominate Mother Earth and instead tend to her as gardeners. We humans tend to think of ourselves as above the rest of the animal kingdom because of our profound intelligence. It is Dr. Goodall notes, we don't deserve the title Homo sapiens or wise apes because we've been destroying our only home, because there's been a disconnect between this clever brain and the human heart. But when asked about what gives her hope for the future, Dr. Goodall's response is the indomitable human spirit. This indomitable human spirit that won't give in and so often succeeds. How can you not have hope? How indeed?